All right, so last week we picked up where Bruce Olson really came to be with the Motolone Indians, right? And so when he was really with them, first thing he does is because he doesn't know anything about their language, essentially, except maybe like a word or something. Yeah, he does his eye, he does eye tricks and stuff, but the first thing is his name, right? Yes, so he starts out Bruce Olson, and they can't do anything like it, and so Bruchko becomes his name, right? And so he picks up Bruchko. Bruchko. Okay, and then he does his eye tricks and stuff for like months until he thinks his eyes are going to be black and blue from pushing them around and doing weird things to them to try to make them entertained. But he kind of becomes bored. Right? After a while, it's kind of bored, and it really stinks, and he gets up one day and steps right in human poop, right? And he's really frustrated because it's everywhere. They just, wherever, they go in the middle of the doorway. Wherever they just stop. Go and, and do this. So it's very frustrating to him, and he feels like these people are less than him. Lots of times. He really struggles with that, as you would, because you you don't grow up that way at all. And many you times... Imagine someone in your school walking over and just taking a dump in front of you. Right. It would be a very different. Now, all the things are different. Remember, everything you do when you live in a communal home, right? These, these uh, Motolone Indians, they essentially live in kind of this big domed house. And it's just poles they put in the ground and stretch and tie the top together. And then they cover it up with leaves and dirt and everything they need to. And there's just little holes in it. And they go inside, crawl inside there, and they live their life inside this little tiny mound of dirt, which is just a, um, a frame of... of Trees, essentially. Bendy trees. That's just depressing. It's very different. Can you imagine everything you do and say, you have no privacy. You're just in with the people. Everything. There's no privacy. Except when you're up in your hammock, which everybody else is up in their hammock too. Right? And so they tie their hammocks from pole to pole, and they climb, and... It's said that Bobby's hammock and many of their hammocks are almost 20 feet in the air. So they're way up at the top of these places. 20 feet is a long way up, okay? 20 feet is a very long way up. This is about seven here. So if you double that, almost triple that height is where their, their hammock is hanging. That's really high. That's really high. So why do they go so high? Probably because there's no other place to get away and rest, right? From people because you're living in a, a communal home where everybody hears everything That's you say. That's messed up. What if you roll out of bed every... What if you roll out of bed? It's tough to roll out of a hammock. You'd have to work it's really hard. <laughs> in fact, I think you'd probably have to work hard just to get out of bed. But that's all they ever knew. That's all they ever knew. So Bruce is really stretching himself, and God is stretching him, all right? And 
the old stinky, dirty lady comes up and hugs him, right? And, and he's like, ah, get away from me. But I didn't even know how to say get away from me. Couldn't even say the words. And God presses him a little more and presses him because God's got a plan for all this. This isn't just to torture him, but he has to understand the people. It's very important, and we will see why he has to understand the people tonight. Um, now, he also gets a small uh, a boy that joins with him, and this young boy is named Cobedra. Okay? And Cobedra has a, a coming-of-age kind of party to say he's growing up to be a man, which he's probably in his very young teens Okay, at this point. And he becomes Bobarashora, right? Of which Bobby, right? He gets out he gets out Bobby because I'm sure they blend all their syllables and things together, and there's quite a a stretch, and so it becomes Bobby and Bruchko are out doing what they need to do. Okay? They become best of friends, very close, and Bobby starts to share things with him about the Modalone people that he never would know by watching. There are things that once or twice in your life might happen as a Modalone. Now he learns that Bobby has a secret name. And what does Bobby's secret name, what is it? Yep, into the heaven. Okay, that's his secret name. And it, if you get a secret name, it's a secret, right? Nobody knows about it except maybe your very closest friend and, your, and maybe your father. And that's it. You do not tell anybody. It comes out to be a very unique thing. It's kind of a cool idea is there's part of you that no one else knows about. And it may be one of those parts of you that is... Yeah, something very deep inside of you as you start to learn about yourself. Uh, sometimes those things come true. Okay, those things in your name. So, he gets a home. He gets acceptance with Bobby and many of the Modalos. But, there is one who is after him. All right? And the guy that is after him is, I'm going to probably butcher his name, Aberatatura. Aberatatura. He's the king, right? He is the king, essentially, of, of chieftains, right? And he is out there. Aberatatura is angry. And why is he, why does he want to kill him? A prophecy. What's the prophecy say? There's a few prophecies. There's a guy with blonde hair who's going to play his flute and lead all the Modalones into their death. And he's going to eat them. He's going to eat them, right? <laughs> right? So he's got blonde hair, he's got a flute, and he's going to eat them. That's a weird prophecy. Yeah, it's a weird prophecy. And so they. this is what's very interesting about the Modalone people. They have, ha they have these prophecies. Now, are all of the prophecies from God? Probably not. No. We don't really know. We don't really know. We know things that do come true, and we start to see. Now, there's another prophecy also. So, so actually, this is, this is a guy, this is not a blonde-haired guy, this is actually a white man. 
And the next one is about a blonde haired guy. So there's the blonde haired guy. With. Banana. Yeah, with the banana and out of the banana comes God. Yep, yeah, banana and God comes out of the banana, right? <coughs> so there's a blonde haired guy. You will see what happens today. You're going to see the banana stock, okay? So this blonde haired guy is going to come and he's going to bring a banana stock and God's coming out of the banana stock, right? How would that even work? So, no, I didn't. You're going to see. I'm going to tell you. Okay, I have some I have some things to read about this. I have uh, several passages I want to read because these are some of the best ones. Now, Bruchko is taken to Abertatura's house, and they say to him, "The Motolones believe you are not able to kill a guy that's going to die on his own, or a monkey that's going to die on his own, or a butterfly that's going to die on his own. If you kill something that's going to die on its own, you're going to get a curse." Is what they think. So here is Bruchko. He is yellow from head to toe. He's sick and burning up with fever. He has hepatitis. Okay? And it's a disease of the liver. And this disease of the liver can kill you if it gets bad enough. Essentially, the toxins are filling your body and your, your liver no more. It cannot deal with it. Okay? And it just rejects it and eventually you just die because you just you become so toxic, your bloodstream, that you die. No oxygen, not enough, it doesn't get nutrients to your rest of your body. So he is in a Baratatur's house, and a Baratatur does not kill him because the other one will say, You can't kill this guy. He's look at him. He's just writhing in pain for days and days and days on end. And finally he hears a sound. It, he doesn't recognize it at first, but it's a helicopter, and he's able to crawl out, essentially, and get them to help him out. And that happened to be the day that the doctor he used to work with was in a helicopter flying around for a joyride over Motolone territory that we'd look for. We were going to look and take some photographs. We thought it would be kind of cool. And there's a white man, yellow man, because you turn yellow, your skin, when you have hepatitis, that bad, you actually your skin turns yellow and your eyes turn yellow because essentially the, just all of the, the poisons and toxins are everywhere in your body. So they pick him up with the helicopter. They take him back to uh, a hospital from that helicopter and they say, the doctor says you had six more hours and you were dead. You would not have made it out of the jungle if we didn't get a medicine and you did six hours and you'd have been dead, okay? So he's like, well, when can I go back in the jungle? He said, never. You're never gonna go back in the jungle. You cannot make it back in that jungle. And Bruce says, I have to. That's what I'm born to do. And so he gets up. Essentially, he recovers so fast that the doctors cannot explain it. He gets up and he goes out and he goes to back to the jungle. He's going to do it. He goes back to Abertatura's house, and Abertatura accepts him this time. And so that enemy, that particular thing, is gone. God used his disease to change Abertatura's mind to say he's obviously not coming back to. He he was almost dead. But he came back, we thought he was dead out on the trail somewhere, and that the birds were picking his flesh clean. 
but he was alive. And he came back to us, clearly he doesn't have any intent to hurt us. And so he begins to live again with the Modalone people, okay? Back to the jungle. Now, when he comes back to the jungle, here is a very cool thing. This happens in the 60s. And when he goes back, when he's back in recovering a little bit before he heads back into the jungle, he talks with his doctor, he gets medicine, and they've also just invented flea collars. So he has been bitten by fleas for months and months and months on end. You ever been bitten by a flea? They're, it's terrible. I've it's had, terrible, right? I've had fleas in my hair because of dogs. Because of dogs. What's that? Uh, no, They're it's muscular. very small and it drains more blood, welts up, and poison within your skull. It's really kind of a nasty little It depends creature. on where they bite you, too. They actually leave a bit of saliva, so every time like a dog nips at it, they'll be poisoning themselves the whole time. So it's not a pleasant thing, but he gets a flea collar, puts it on his neck. So please leave him alone. <laughs> I'm going out into the jungle. They're everywhere in the jungle. Apparently monkeys must have fleas pretty bad, I guess. They do. And when he goes back in, it gives him a little bit of relief. This crazy little thing. But he learns to be pretty grateful for stupid little things like a flea collar. Like, hey, now probably nobody here would be grateful to wear a flea collar. I would. <laughs> right. If you've got fleas or you've got a problem with fleas, it is, it's tough. We've had them with our cat where you just can't get rid of them. Week after week after week, we try traps and spray and we kill them on the, and they just keep coming back and coming back and coming back. They're in your carpets. We vacuum, we spray, we vacuum and spray again. And we do it again and again and again and try to kill them. Yeah, try bug we, we have tried and tried many things. We finally were able to take care of it, but Every once in a while, they'll happen, and they are hard to get rid of, and they're frustrated. I remember how we killed the flea in our house. We had to, you know those little smoke bombs where it takes like 10 of them to kill mm -hmm. dogs? If you take all the dogs out of the house after washing them, cleaning their coats, and you set those off, those are known to kill fleas. Yeah, so we've, we've had that. So, we're back in the jungle. He's got a flea collar on, and he starts talking to the witch doctor because he's brought some medicine back. Now here's he's got an interesting perspective. What do you think about witch doctors? Think they're good? Think they're bad? Some are good. What do you think? Um, like sort of both. Sort of both, okay. You said some are good. Yes, yeah, some, not all. So not all? Get, yeah, there's a type of witch doctor that'll give you a poisonous mushroom that's actually a drug that could kill you. Okay, so some might not be so good. It depends on their motives and There's a witch doctor who made, made a baby in an eye of Newt just to try and cure him, and it actually did. I don't think they really know what they're doing. Okay, fair enough. I fair enough. Some root or maybe something that they know. The lime and the coconut. The lime and the coconut, yes, right? Yeah, but the so, lime and the coconut was the very first thing that got her sick to begin with. Alright, so listen, I'm going to read a little about the witch doctor here, alright? I knew missionaries often had felt that the witch doctor was a demon element and had to be eliminated, but it didn't seem to be the case here. 
the mode along which doctor didn't pray to demons. She tried to help her people by praying to God in the best way she knew. I didn't want to destroy what she was doing. I wanted to help her. I got an idea. I strode back to the home over to a man who had a bad case of the disease. Now the disease they had was pink eye and it was everywhere. So pink eye is very, it itches terrible. Everybody's got it in the camp except he doesn't because he's known not to touch people, right? Everybody else has it. Eyes are all pussy and nasty. So he says he's trying to get the witch doctor to give them some medicine. I got an idea. I strode back to the home, went over to a man who had a bad case of the disease. I rubbed my fingers in the corner of his eye, and then I smeared his pus in my own eye. Ew. In five days, I developed pink eye. I went to the witch doctor and told her that I needed her help. She sang incantations for me, just as she has had for all others. Naturally, it didn't help me any more than that than it did them. So I went to see the witch doctor again. I told her I wanted her to try putting teramycin, which is a antibiotic, in my eyes while she sang the incantations. She looked doubtful, but then she was willing to try something new. She took the tube of teramycin, smeared some in my eye, and sang her prayers that God would heal me. In three days, my eyes had cleared up and I felt fine. Everyone else, of course, was still miserable. The witch doctor kept singing her chants and prayers. I waited for the right time to talk to her again. I didn't want to insult her in any way. One evening, I saw her walk in the home, uh, out of the home, her shoulders stooped with fatigue. I followed her outside into the dark and caught her arm. She turned around. I held up the tube of teramycin. Why don't you try this potion? I said, you cured my eyes with it. Perhaps it will work with your people as well. Within three days, she had cured everyone. It increased her stature in the home. She was proud of having been effective with her chance and her new potion. She became a good friend of mine and also a channel for other health measures. So it goes on. What he does is he begins, he says, where do bad diseases come from? <clears throat> and she said, well, they come from demons, bad things, bad spirits. And so... He has like a little microscope. He puts a, a pile of dirt and scum under the microscope and you can see them, the little amoebas floating around moving. And he says, do your incantations and try. Try to pray and get those to go away. And so she does it, she does it, and then he puts a drop of, of antiseptic, like a, a, like a cleaning like we use like an alcohol type thing. Okay. And like hand sanitizer. Yep, like a hand sanitizer. Puts it a drop on there, and she looks, and they're all dead. And she's a little shocked about the whole thing. So she decides, maybe this does do something. But she never loses the sight of saying, we're going to give their medicine, and then we're going to pray. Which is not a bad thing, right? Because medicine is not the heal all of all things, right? We have some medicines that help greatly in some things. But there are some plain things that medicine just doesn't fix. The common cold, which is a string of multiple viruses. Yep. We don't have all the answers, but they, these monolone people, in an interesting way, 
always reach out to God and say, okay, we put this in here like anything. We did our best. Now, God, you got to do the rest. They have an interesting approach to it, but they really don't know God. And when we ask, what's the cause of all these sicknesses? I, I asked the witch doctor, there doesn't seem to be any end to them. So she, she was surprised that I didn't know. It's evil spirits showing their power. That's why we use chance. We call on God to cast the evil spirits out. And why doesn't he always do it, I asked. Her face fell. She turned aside. We have deceived God she said in a low and sad voice. I stood behind her, puzzled, feeling as though beneath what she said, there was something I needed to understand. How did you deceive God, I asked. A man who claimed to be a prophet, she said. He said that he would take us over the horizon to a land where there was a better hunt. His name was Sakame Doji. We left God and followed him. Why does that mean sound Japanese? I don't know. I might be pronouncing it wrong. Okay. Either way, essentially, there was a time when the Modalone people turned away from God. They knew about God in the past, but here it is, they've turned away from God, and they've said, we're to follow this other guy. Technically, they don't want with him to get more food for their people, their growing population. They probably did. They went for something. They thought it'd be better if they went and followed this other guy, and then they knew they made a big mistake. Well, he claimed to be All the prophet of the Lord. He though. did. But there are lots of people that claim it. Now, the difference here is when Bruchko is coming in, he is trying to be very careful. Because he knows what God is capable of, and he knows that God can do a lot, but he is not trying to tear down their uh, culture. Their beliefs, he wants them to understand better about God, but he's not trying to tear down what they do as a culture. And that's an important piece of how he approaches things. All right, He is trying to approach things in the right way. So, uh, let's go to Deuteronomy. Chapter number 31. I have one more passage to read here, and then, then I will we'll read that verse here. He is struggling with the culture and how he changes it. And he wants to change things, but he doesn't want to change the Modalone people. All right? Yet, as I pondered one day while seated in front of the communal home, I knew that the answer had to be the same as it had been four years before. The significance of Modalone lives and what I was doing wasn't in what people thought. I remembered what God had told me. Everyone may reject you, but I will not reject you. That had to be true for the Modalones, too. God would not reject them. He loved them. That is why I had to come into the jungle to let them see and experience the love of God. So the, the approach of Bruchko is not to come in and say, I'm going to tell you what for. The approach of Bruchko is to come in 
and learn to love them like God. Which is how we are called to love people. Right? Not to change everybody's culture. We oftentimes in the West, we think our culture is the right one. It's all we know. And we grew up and there's lots of Christian things in our culture. All right? But there are other cultures in the world that may not know about God and we are told to tell them. And you may, whether you're in college somewhere around or your life takes you to some other place or whatever you're doing, you may have to approach people very carefully thinking, I am not looking to prove myself right. I am looking to express God to them. That has to be your approach. And that's where Bruce Olson got to. He says, I've got to help them understand in some way because I care about them as a people. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse number 6. Let's read that, please. Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Alright, so this is where Bruce, you remember Bruce back a few chapters ago, felt really alone. Because nobody thought he could go to see the motor loans. Nobody thought he could ever make it. Everybody said, you're wrong. You can't do this. And even the best friends, his parents basically said, eh, you're out of the house if you think you're going to do this crazy thing and go down there. He felt very alone. But Bruce had to feel that and understand that. So when you undergo things in your life, when you feel rejected, even within your own family, when you feel when you're in a tough spot, when you go through something hard in your life, when there is a feeling that you feel, let that sink in deep and remember the moment and reach out to God and ask for help in that moment. You probably won't see what he's doing then. But let it make a mark on you that doesn't go away. Because someday, God will use that, that feeling, to help you understand what someone else feels like. Right? Put you in their shoes so that you can say, you can approach them with love. You can't approach them with love until you felt what they felt. And so Bruce has felt this loneliness. He's felt this to say, Everybody's against these people. I know what it feels like when everybody's against it. You gotta just keep going and trusting in God, even if you're the only one who knows what God wants you to do. You gotta keep going with it. Okay? So Bruce does that, he sees that, and God says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. This is all, this isn't about, oh, go find your friends and talk to them. This is about, God says, I'm with you. I walk with you when you're alone. Sometimes you're in situations where you are alone. You felt that this week, right? Yeah? Where you're the only one standing. And those are the times you have to know and your faith has to be strong and you have to say, I can do this. God, help me to do this. 
right? And the more you are prepared for those moments when you get there, the better it will be. There's no mistakes about your life. No mistakes. Wherever you go, whatever you do, unless if you are incomplete, walking away from God, and even He will use those things at times. But if you are doing things and obeying God, and God takes you to places, know that He, he is taking you there for a reason. Okay? So, and He says, I will be with you. When you learn to trust that God will be with you regardless, that's what you want. Now, Ruchko realizes this. And he starts to change his thinking. Now he's learned to love these people, but he's learning to have more breadth. We like to put God in a box. And this is the great thing about this book, is that oftentimes we think, well, God works this way, and God does it this way, and God creates this, and this is how we know God, and we experience God exactly this way. And the Modalone people didn't grow up like you and like me or like Bruce. They grew up in a very different way. And many of their experiences are very relevant. And God fits perfectly into them. That doesn't mean another God, okay? It's the very same God, but our God is so deep and so wide and so broad and so full of knowledge we experience him in this little way, but there is other. There are other people in all the world. He says, "I come to the world to tell them about me." So cultures can see God and have a different understanding. There was a man named Watchman Nee, <clears throat> who was a Chinese believer. He turned to know about God, and in the Chinese culture, they think very differently than Westerners, okay? They think a lot in cycles and things like that. And they didn't think about God coming in and, and exerting things on you. He explained it, and I have used his explanation often, where God's spirit comes inside of you and works his way out. Okay, that was really a watchman knee understanding. It's really God's understanding, right? Though it's not. It's just him speaking to people in the differences of their culture saying, look, I can do this for you. I can be this way for you. I have this for you. I have this for you. I approach you this way. And it's all the same God. And that's the fascinating part of this. But they needed Jesus, Bruce said. How could I introduce them to him for who he really was? independent of my own personality and culture. Jesus would have to do it for me. There was no other way. Nothing I could say would have the right message, the right force. But Jesus could speak through me, and he could show me the right time to speak. I bowed my head. The sun was hot on the back of my neck. Oh, Jesus, these people need you. Show yourself to them. Take me out of the way and speak to them in their own language so that they see you for who you are. Oh, Jesus, become a modalum. So he asks God to intervene, which is a fascinating thing. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. When you ask God, 
crazy things can happen. And this is where you start to see some of these things come together. Uh, but 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, we want to go there first because this is Paul explaining something. Chapter 16, verse number 9. Now, this is talking about Paul, and he has been going to, he's been doing work in many places, and it wasn't where he expected, he had expected to go on and do his travel through Asia, Asia Minor, and areas like that, and God turned him on his head and said, you're not going there, you're going somewhere else, you're going to Greece. Okay, uh, chapter 16, verse number 9. This is Paul afterwards, what he said that God did. For a great door and effectual. effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Okay, so this is like two sides of a statement. A great door. What's a door? What do we use a door for? To enter. To enter. enter. Okay, <laughs> is this right? So, if a door is closed, you stay, out. you stay out, right? And if it's an open door, you can go in. You go in, all right? So you have, we might call this an opportunity. This reminds me of Mr. Pierce's class. All this right. one girl, uh, he told her to leave the room, left the door open, and she wanted to come right back in and slam the door right in her face. She got her right. So, God's not slamming the door. God has opened the door and created an opportunity, an effectual opportunity. We don't use that word very often. It's it's effective is a is a word that you could use for it. Efficient, fruitful, and productive. Those are the words that you could use as synonyms for effectual. Okay, right. Like I said, you're not going to go out probably and use effectual tonight. Although you could, and you could really make people impressed. But you could say, "I have had an effectual evening." Or he's a really annoyed person who doesn't know what it means. You could. You could impress him and say, "Look at me! I've had a very fruitful evening." Okay, so you sit down and eat six bananas. So, so here's the thing. God created an opportunity that was fruitful for Paul. And this is God's move, okay? He says there's a great effectual door. But then what's the second half of that verse say? There are many adversaries. Oh, man. Right? So the great opportunity and... In the middle of the great opportunity is? There's a lot of adversaries. What's an adversary? People who hate you. People who hate you. Enemies. People who are going to fight against you. Oh. God, right? It's not an adversary. You know what it's like a... So, as so, soon as you said that, the song Enemy just popped up. I thought that was like, opposes. Nope. Somebody who opposes you. Somebody who goes against you. So here you are. God opens this great opportunity, this fruitful opportunity, and Paul says it's so exciting, and there's enemies everywhere. All over the place. Yeah, there is exactly, but that's exactly how God acts. Nope, I don't want to die. God, well, no, he went right into it, and he says, I am going to take the opportunity because I'm not afraid 
God is doing something great. If God is doing something great in your life, you will find there will be enemies. There will be enemies. How we treat them, whole different thing. Not what I'm talking about tonight, but there's an opportunity. And this is what Bruce is about ready to get. He has prayed. He's put it in God's hands. And all of a sudden, he's taking a walk through the jungle. And this is, to me, one of the coolest things that happens in this book. He's walking down the jungle. They've been on the trail for three days. He's with Bobby, another couple of friends. And all of a sudden, ah! screaming in the jungle. Scream after scream after scream. And the three Modalone Indians that he's with ignore it. And they're just walking on the trail. And he's like, someone's screaming. Like there's bunches of people screaming somewhere in this jungle. And they ignore what he says. They just keep walking. This is very sus. <laughs> and he says, no, no, listen, stop, guys. They're screaming. Can't you hear that? Really? And they put their head down and keep walking. They act like this is normal. They act like they don't want to deal with it. That's exactly what it is. And so he finally says, I don't care what you guys do, but I'm going to see if I can help these people. He goes around. And there is a man climbed up in a tree, shoving leaves in his mouth and screaming. And another guy, he's dug a six foot deep hole and he's screaming in the bottom of the hole. Why? What's he's going saying, on? well, well, we'll get there. You don't have to come with me, I said, but I want to see. They stood motionless until I turned and walked off the trail into the jungle towards the sounds. After I had gone a few yards, I heard noises behind me. They were following. The shouting men were closer than I had thought, and after there were or, and there were only two of them. One I knew well. He was a leader in his communal home and a fierce warrior. He had killed oil company employees just to get their safety helmets to use in cooking. He wore a necklace of his but of buttons from his victim's clothes and another necklace of jaguar teeth from a jaguar he had killed with his bow and arrow. Now standing in front of a hole that he had dug, a hole that was a good six feet deep, he was shouting in a desperate searching voice, God, God, come out of the hole! The other man was in the top of a high tree. He was stuffing leaves into his mouth trying to chew them while he was shouting, God, God, come from the horizon. It was the strangest sight I had ever seen. It, it could have been laughable, but something kept me from seeing any humor in it. My three companions came up alongside me looking sad and embarrassed. You knew about this? I asked Bobby. He nodded. What's the matter? He explained that the brother of the man shouting into the hole had died in a region that was not his home. He had been bitten by a poisonous snake and had died before there was time to get him back. According to their traditions, that meant that his language, his spirit, his life could never go to God beyond the horizon. Now the man was trying to look for God, trying to bring his brother's language back to life, to live in his body. What makes him think he can find God by calling into a hole, I said. Bobby shrugged. 
It's as good a place to look as any. The hopelessness of his expression was transmitted into his words. So these people, when they turned to that false prophet years before, they had lost hope. That was really their problem. They all lost all hope. It's not that they had not heard of God. They heard of God. They knew God was the creator of all. But they knew and they felt like they couldn't touch him. They couldn't get near him. They couldn't get into contact with him at all. And it was just hopeless. We couldn't possibly make it. Everything we do, unless if everything just falls together just right, is just going to fall apart. The interesting thing about this, you think about the history of all mankind. All mankind started in one place. With Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And then from the Tower of Babel, basically again, God takes out and it comes again, starts from Mount Ararat with Noah and his family. And the human race grows from that place. And in just a few short generations, they have turned so evil again that God disperses them from the Tower of Babel, gives them other languages, and pushes them out into the world. As they go, because they're so frustrated and they don't want to talk with one another and they can't get along with other, one another, they don't understand each other, they go out and they settle in places. It appears as though with the adventurous types of people that we've seen, that there are huge groups of people that end up going and living in South America all the way up through Mexico into North America into the southern United States. There are large, large groups of people that live there that are what we would call a native tribe. Okay, Many of them had huge, huge societies buried beneath the Amazon jungle. There is, there is proof today that they have found there were huge societies filled with millions of people. Now, they all started with the knowledge that there was God in their, in their culture. Many, including almost all of them, turned their backs on God at times. And that was every society that ever went. Okay, So the Motolones are no different. They're, they're an ancestor uh, down several generations from a group of people who originally came and knew God. God continued his hand on the Motolone people, along with every other culture. Now, many cultures had turned completely against God, and many of them, their, sac their societies fell apart. They were sacrificing humans in many places. That is not uncommon. The Mayans. And the Incas and the Aztecs and several other lesser known tribes all the way up through into the southern United States. Okay, there is proof of that down through. They have found recent genetic proof of that same thing. Regardless, as you see mankind move across the world and the globe, they all still have the same origin, and God is in that origin. So they're not far from 
understanding. Whether it's our culture that pushes God away, or the ancient Aztecs that pushes God away, or the Modalone people that pushes God away, it's still the same thing. Humans are humans are humans are humans. Okay? Regardless of their culture, they do it and they push God away. That's the human condition, prone to wander. All right? So here is Bruchko. He is one man who God has brought in. And here's his story. But God has been working in this tribe for some time. This is the fascinating part. All right? Listen up. This is cool. I like this part. A lively discussion started. The man who had been in the trees came down and joined us. He reminded us of the legend about the prophet who would come carrying banana stalks and that God would come out of those stalks. Right? We talked about that. It's a blonde-haired guy that brings God, God brings a banana stalk, and God comes out of the banana stalks. Okay? I couldn't quite understand the idea behind the legend. Why look for God to come out of a banana stalk? I asked. There was a puzzled silence. It made sense to them, but they couldn't explain it. Bobby walked over to a banana tree that was growing nearby, and he cut a section off and tossed it towards us. This is the kind of banana stalk God can come from, he said. It was a cross section of the stalk, and it rolled at our feet. One of the Modalones reached down and swatted it with his machete, accidentally splitting it in half. One half stood up, while the other half split off, and the leaves inside the stalk, waiting to develop, came out, starting to peel off. They lay at the base of the stalk, and they looked like pages from a book. Suddenly, a word raced through my mind. Book. Book! I grabbed my pack and took out my Bible. I opened it, flipping through the pages. I held it towards the men. I pointed at the leaves from the banana stalk and then back to the Bible. This is it. I have it here. This is God's banana stalk. One of the Modalones, the one who had been in the tree, grabbed the Bible out of my hand, started to rip the pages out and stuff them in his mouth. <laughs> he thought the pages of God, would he'd have God inside of him. So, alright, so when nothing happened, they began to ask me questions. And here's where God uses this opportunity. Alright? He understands, they understand something very natural, this banana stalk. They've seen this, they've cut it open. Many times they see the leaves as they come and develop, and they, they come kind of in like a little booklet, and as they go, they spread open, just like pages in a book. Right? And they understand this, and they've seen it their whole lives, and it's no big deal to them. They're just like, God's going to come out of this. Now, they think it very different. They think being filled with God is to put him inside of you. Now, is that wrong? No. Nope. In fact, if you read the book of Revelation, there is a time, there is... One of John's uh, visions where they, an angel hands him a book and what does he say to do to it? Eat it. Eat it. Eat me. Happens more than once in the Bible, doesn't it? Literally, it says that you see on it. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? Because God is saying, understand, take it in, put it inside of you, make it part of you. God's had the same message from 
end to end of the earth, well, right? Anyone eat a book? You because paper Because here's what they don't understand: the modalones have no written language. They don't know what a marking on a page is. That does nothing to them. That means nothing. This black mark on here is just like a mark of a, a, a bark on a tree. This means nothing to them. There's no value to it. No wonder one of them just started ripping the pages out and eating it. And he thought, hey, if that gives me God, I'll take it and I'll eat it. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have God. If only it were. So why is Bruce Olson chosen? What did he really like to do? What what did he really want to be? Remember that? A linguist. Imagine that, right? Because maybe God put that inside of him, a desire for language. And how many languages he's learned? Oh, he's learned lots of them now, right? He goes into cultures. He learns the Yuko language. He learns this. He learns all these different things. Even the Yuko language is important, and it will be important to the story later as he will realize God is doing things beyond language. God, language is not a barrier for God. Okay? God does not think in language. We think, we think in English, right? And so we say, well, God thinks in English because he's our God. He doesn't think That's in English, and he doesn't think in Spanish, and he doesn't think in mode alone. Think about he, it. God thinks in every language at all the same time. All the same time. Could you just imagine hearing the words hello or his, not at the same time? So his thought is put in a book, and we translate it to English, and we say, well, that's the Bible. That's the one. We got it. Nope. And God says, no, no. It's my word. I am telling you my story. And so... Bruchko begins to say, what do I say about Jesus? What do I tell them about Jesus? And here is the one thing he begins to say. They have some more discussion. He says, the man who had been shouting into the hole looks at me. Show us Christ, he said in a coarse whisper. I fumbled for an answer. You killed Christ, I said. You destroyed God. His eyes got big. I killed Christ? I did that? How did I do that? And how can God be killed? I, want, I wanted to tell them about Jesus' death, how he'd been freed from meaningless, from death and from the powers of evil, how, how do evil and death and deception find the power of the modal people, and all of these things... But there's so many barriers. This so he be So this guy finally he begins to describe Jesus. And he thinks of the Modalone story that he had heard. There's a story about Modalones. And there's a big Modalone. And he walks along and he is looking at his home. And you remember this Modalone home that we drew? Great big tall thing and they mound dirt up around the sticks and the leaves and they cover it all up and it creates this big home. Right? He bends down and he sees an ant, ants working on an ant pile. And he starts scraping the earth together to say they should have a big one like I do. But the story, the Modalone story, says that the ants got scared because he was so much bigger than them. And so in the Modalone story, the big Modalone 
becomes like an ant. And he gets down in there and he can speak ant and he can talk to them about it and he says, it's me, I am the modal I'm trying to help you out. That is very weird. And so, he becomes a big mode alone again in the story, and he scrapes it back together, and they understand that he is helping them. Bruce remembers this story and says, that's what Jesus did. God was there, and he looked so big and so scary and so powerful, and he sent Jesus down to become a human, like the mode alone became an ant. To tell you that God is working and God is doing something great and it's incredible what it's doing and just let him help you. Do you think that the ant story was a mistake? No. No. Nope. It was to help him. You think God was working in all of those things to give even some person who made that story <laughs> up in the Modalone tribe a little wisdom? Maybe. When did it start? I don't know. How long was it in their tribe? Maybe hundreds of years. I don't know. I don't know. But it was there when Bruce needed it to explain. And so they begin to say, well, I don't, I don't understand. So he died? Why would he die? When he came down to walk the trails like humans, because they think all people walk trails. That's what they do, Motolones. They have their own trail. Where's Jesus' trail? I want to go on Jesus' trail. Jesus can show you how to walk God's trail. He said, there's a special way that God has. And if you want to find a alone in the jungle, you go out on his trail. And you find him on that trail. And that's what Bruce says. If you want to find God, you go out, Jesus shows you the way. This is God's trail. Jesus walks that trail. But they couldn't quite get the whole death thing, right? Because why did Jesus die? Well, you killed him, he says, right? I wanted to tell them that Jesus' death had freed them from meaningless, from death, uh, and from the powers of evil. How do evil and death and deception find power over the Modalone people, I asked? Through the ears, Bobby answered. And why do they find it through the ears? Because they hear language and they believe their language is their life. Okay? That's how they think. It's just very different than us. right? We don't really think that way. But all bad things go into your ears, and you, if you speak only your good language, that, that's your life coming out of you. Because it really is who you are, what you say. right? That's who you are. Through the ears, Bobby answered, because language is so important to the Motolones. It's the essence of life. If evil language comes through the ears, it means death. Do you remember I said how after a hunt for wild boars, the leader cuts the skin off the animal and puts it over the head of the tribal leader to cover his ears and keep evil spirits out? That's what they did after every boar hunt, wild boar hunt. Yeah, we get that. That's very easy for us to get, right? They nodded. Jesus was murdered, I said. But just as you pull the skin over the chieftain's head to hide his ears, so Jesus, when he died, pulled his blood over your deception and hides it from the sight of God. So 
he begins to explain to them using things in their culture to say, you do this to protect. Jesus puts his blood over you to protect you from God. Right? He's protecting you, giving you forgiveness. That's his blood. He covers you. And so on and on his explanations go. Bobby's thinking now and he starts to ask more questions and he says so how do I follow Jesus and he is trying to think of a way to explain faith now one day long time before Bruchko was in and he was just started to walk to be in the Modalone family a little bit and he didn't like hammocks and they said, you got to get in your hammock. And so he stood with one foot on the ground, and he put one foot in the hammock. And Bobby said, you can't do that. you got to get in the hammock if you're going to do that. And if you're going to be there, you got to be suspended by that house. You tie your strings up into the house, that hammock strings up into the house, you get in the hammock. <laughs> I would honestly scream and most likely fall out of the hammock. And what, what Bruchko said is, you remember that day when I said you can't just have one foot in the hammock? You said that to me? Yep, yep, I, you got to have both feet in the hammock. He says, you've got to tie your hammock up to God. Suspend yourself. Because the hammock itself is an act of faith, right? He has a problem because he does not believe he's not going to fall out of that thing. Right? So he puts one foot on to kind of say, well, come in there. You're not in there. Get in the hammock. Trust that it will hold you. Honestly, and, it cannot support some people's weight. Some hammocks can't. But he says, trust it. And the, the point is, the point is, you can trust God if you're hanging on God. He says, tie your hammock strings up to God. Let God show you the way. Let's talk to him about it. So one day, Bobby comes back, and he is thrilled. He says, well, how do I know how to do that? Well, you talk to spirits, don't you? Yeah, I talk to spirits. Well, if you talk to spirits, go talk to Jesus. Oh. He goes out on his own and comes back, and he says, Oh, I see. The next day he had a big grin on his face. Bruchko, I've tied my hammock strings into Jesus. Now I speak a new language. I didn't understand what he meant. Have you learned some sort of Spanish that I speak? He laughed, a clean, sweet laugh. No, Bruchko, I speak a new language. Then I understand. To a mode alone, language is life. If Bobby had a new life, he had a new way of speaking. His speech would be Christ-oriented. We put our hands on each other's shoulders... My mind swept back to the first time I had met Jesus and the life I had felt flow into me. Now my brother Bobby was experiencing Jesus himself in the same way he began. Uh, he had begun to walk with Jesus. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, Bobby shouted, and so the sound filtered far off into the jungle. He has walked our trails. I have met him. So the very first guy, and Bruchko never preached a word. He just tried to explain to them a little bit here. They're out in the jungle with guys screaming into a hole. God opened up a great effectual door 
because something amazing is going to happen. From, from here on out, Bobby now has something, they have something called the Festival of Arrows. And in the Festival of Arrows, they sing songs. The men have song singing contests, which is a very interesting thing. They go and they lay in their hammock, and they kind of challenge each other to sing long songs. Songs go two, three, four hours long, five, six, seven, eight hours long. Who can sing the longest? Phoebe, most definitely. <laughs> Bobby sat in his hammock, and all the motorloans come to the different from different homes in the area come during the Festival of Arrows, and they pass things around and they share the news through these I songs. Probably they, they also pass arrows to one another and that becomes, you become a blood brother through that, right? You make special arrows for that. So that was the time when he became a brother to Bruchko. He sings his song and one of the other chiefs gets into his hammock with him. They sit sideways. They sing for 14 hours straight. And he tells all about Jesus, how I'm hanging in the hammock with Jesus, and I'm tied my strings to Jesus, and I'm walking the trail with Jesus, and Jesus died, and he's resurrected, and on and on he goes. Just don't make us sing that song. And Bruce says, I listened to that thing, and I hated it. I hated the tones. I hated the sound. I hated it. The first hour, two hours, I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. It was so annoying to me. I couldn't stop being annoyed by it. And he prayed and God showed him that it was his attitude that was the problem. God says, I'm working here. Isaiah, we don't have time to turn there, but Isaiah 55, 8 says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I share my word and I have a way to do it. I can do it in any way I want to. In Isaiah 55, it talks about that. 55, 8, 9, 10, 11, through that, those sets of verses, it talks all about God sharing His Word. It's a fascinating part. It's a wonderful thing to see, and essentially in one festival, one two or three day long festival, every single Motolone gives their heart to Christ from Bobby. Bobby's 14 hour song. Because God had a way. Through the blonde hair with banana leaves, God had a way, right? It's not how you think it was. It's not how I would do it. It's so much more fresh and unique and yet everybody has learned, Bruce has learned, Bobby has learned, he, they've come to Christ on their own. Did God need Bruce to do that? Did God yeah. need Bruce? No. He needed a person. No. But he chose to work through Bruce. Right? He didn't have to do it. He could have shown them through dreams and visions. He could have done a number of things. But it got intense. And you knew God had opened a great and effectual door because all of a sudden a flood of people 
Christ. He's there for five years. And essentially, Bruch Co. has sort of one convert. From Bobby, the whole tribe turns because Bobby is part of the culture. And Bruce didn't try to change the culture. He just said, this is God. Go find him. Go find him. Talk to Jesus. See what he has to say. And as they do that, and as they start to look, they are going to come against a great, dangerous thing. Bobby's up against danger next week as they hear the tiger in the jungle speak to them. And what's the tiger? <clears throat> they are used to hearing the sounds of evil spirits. And they're coming after Bobby's home. The evil spirits want to kill people in Bobby's home. And every single time it's ever been done that the tiger speaks and the spirits come, someone's died. At least one. <clears throat> Next week, the tiger speaks in the jungle.